Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash cxpodcast, all one word provides a range of options to get content and information out to people and then just not making that assumption that this one way of producing content or sharing information is going to work for everyone because we take things in differently. Well, hello there and welcome to another episode of The Community Experience and I am flying solo today and I can't wait to introduce you to our guest this week, Rach Idawu. Rach is a young woman living in London who was diagnosed with ADHD much later in life than what we all are used to hearing, at least uh, my, sounds so old, my generation. You know, it was very commonly boys in elementary school that were bouncing off the walls and then were put on Ritalin. And if you've been paying attention to the, the space at all, if you have kids in school, if you're just a person on the internet wondering why you daydream so much or <laughs> have a hard time with impulse control, you know, all those things, you may be up to speed with, there's a lot of discoveries going on with how ADHD manifests, especially in women, adult women, in fact. So Rach and I talk about that and have a great time. It's something I deeply wonder about myself with all the new things coming through. But why should you care, dear listener? It's so important to try to stay abreast with all the things happening that might affect your membership. And something I see a lot in my own experience community building is, and I love this, people are advocating for themselves more and people are using the term neurodivergence a lot. It's a term I don't think I was familiar with a few years ago. And now it's in people's bios, like it's a thing, right? So I think it's important for us as community builders to understand where our members are coming from. And that includes with ableism and disability and just different people need different possibly things to make their experience a lot better. And so it's important that we give them that space to share what that might be, but also that we have that in mind when we're building. Anyways, here is the interview with Rach with ADHD. Welcome to this episode of The Community Experience. I am delighted to have a new friend from London joining us, Rachel Iduwu, and she is the adulting ADHD queen. She does all of sorts of amazing, amazing things on advocacy for adults being diagnosed with ADHD. Welcome to the show, Rach. Thanks so much for having me. And that was the perfect intro. I feel like I need to walk down the street and then just have someone with a speakerphone saying those words. So thank you for, for having me and so excited to talk to you about adulting with ADHD. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this for several reasons. But I think and what something we'll get into is there is just lately, I mean, I'm a, like a an elder millennial 
And when I was younger, ADHD was synonymous with hyperactive boys. And that was like, oh, let's put them on Ritalin, you know, and it was just kind of like this pill factory thing happening in elementary school with excited boys. And there was never really talk about girls in particular with ADHD, but also even like adolescence to now, there was never really talk about that. And now it seems like a lot of women in particular who, who had a similar growing up experience are realizing, wait a minute, there's all these things I, I do, or I've always struggled with this. And I always just internalized it <laughs> and, and felt bad about it. But actually, I might just have a completely different like learning style and comprehension style. And it's, it's actually ADHD or ADD in some in some way. So tell us what was your experience in this journey of getting from who you were as a child to now and why you are so passionate about adults with ADHD. Thanks, Gillian. And it's exactly as you said, so growing up, so I'm 28 now, diagnosed at 26. I didn't think girls could have ADHD. So in primary school, I'm not sure what the US equivalent is to that. I think that's elementary school. Yeah, like three to 10. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in my class, I went to like a mixed primary school. And um, in my class, I could hear other people saying, oh yeah, that boy, he's naughty because he has ADHD or he's rude because he has ADHD. And so in my mind, that's what ADHD looked like. You had to be a boy, very hyperactive, very disruptive. And that's what ADHD looked like to me at that age. For me, I was diagnosed at 26. I'm 28 now. And how that came about is actually quite strange. So in 2016, I went to my GP and told her that I was losing my memory. I know it sounds very wild, but for me, I felt like I was possibly developing early onset dementia. Oh, that's scary. Yeah, really scary forgetting my keys or just walking into a room, forgetting what I wanted to get, or even leaving my house and forgetting, okay, I know I'm supposed to be somewhere, but I can't remember. So let me keep walking until I arrive at my destination. So it was things like that. And maybe it's, I didn't pick up on that earlier on in life because things moved very fast. I was in school, so there was that structure, but I started to notice that after I had graduated or was about to graduate. So I went to my GP and she said, let's do a memory test. And she said about, I think eight to 12 words, like dogs, park, just like simple words in a row. And I could obviously recite it because it was there and then. And then she said, you're fine. You don't, you don't have early onset dementia. You might just be disoriented. And that was it. Didn't think ADHD or anything. Fast forward to 2018, I watched a very controversial Netflix documentary called Take Your Pills, which the ADHD community don't really like. And I definitely agree. There are some, I guess, harmful signaling about ADHD medication, and it just reinforces and tried and kind of um, re perpetuates the stereotypes about um, ADHD stimulants, which isn't great. But anyhow, I watched the documentary and I remember there was a black guy speaking about his struggles about ADHD and how medication has helped him. And I couldn't believe that this this grown adult talking on um, a documentary and there were quite a few about ADHD. And then it kind of clicked to me that while you can be diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, so I did what most people with ADHD, suspecting that they have ADHD do, went online, did a bunch of the free online tests. And, you know, with these tests, they, they can't say, well, you've completed the test, you definitely have ADHD. I think it will say something that there is a likelihood or a high chance or you should speak with someone 
So two weeks after, so this is still in 2018, I went to my GP. Um, I'd done a lot of research before because people say you should take examples of the traits you struggle with or else the GP won't believe you. So I went to my GP, told her my concerns and her initial reaction was that, oh, I can't have ADHD because I've got a good career, I've graduated and she has a patient that has ADHD and I'm not like them. So she was simply implying that I'm too well put together to have ADHD. And, you know, I said to her, I basically begged her to refer me to a psychiatrist. I said to her, you know, I don't come to you for anything. The last time I came to you was 2016. Please refer me just so I can get that confirmation from them. And then she said, yeah, it's fine. I will refer you. But, you know, it's, it's going to take you up to two years. And I thought she was just blagging and saying that to deter me. But she was right. It took me a year and six months. So in 2018, fast forward to about nine months, I saw the first psychiatrist. And he said, it's very likely that I have ADHD, but I needed to see a second psychiatrist. And so I saw my second psychiatrist in 2020, who officially diagnosed me with ADHD combined type. So it's been quite a long journey. And sorry, I've in true ADHD fashion, I did ramble on there, but that's how I got my initial diagnosis, I guess, two months before the UK entered lockdown due to, you know, COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) Just in time, I guess. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, I mean, obviously we have different healthcare systems, but I hear very similar things from people. Um, with U.S. version with privatized care, it, it is it's a it's a chore to get diagnosed. Um, and I, I'm so frustrated on your behalf listening to this story because I you know I think a lot of us have that shared experience of you go you go to someone who's supposed to be a, you know an expert in medicine and granted and not to not to knock it's kind of newer in medicine to be able to recognize how we are now understanding ADHD, but to kind of, you know, you go in with a legitimate fear, like I, I am worried about my memory and it's like, Oh, you're too successful. You're too young. We're, you know, basically you leave feeling like you're crazy for lack of a better term. So it's it's frustrating. Um, Tell me more about what it means to be ADHD combined. What is that? Yeah. So there are three types of ADHD. There is ADHD inattentive types. So symptoms slash um, traits of like procrastination, being easily distracted, um, lack of attention to detail, to name a few. And then there's the ADHD hyperactive impulsive type, which has symptoms, stroke traits of restlessness, impulsiveness, and forgetting one. Restlessness, impulsiveness, fidgeting, excessive talking, to name a few. And then the combined type is when you have symptoms of both. And funnily enough, when I started the ADHD diagnosis process, I already told myself, I definitely have ADHD inattentive type. That's it. They're going to diagnose me with the inattentive type. So to my surprise, I was diagnosed with combined type and it was scored out of nine, if I can remember. And I scored, I think, eight on both or eight point something on both. So pretty high. So yeah, I was pretty surprised being diagnosed with ADHD combined type. So that's essentially what it is. Gotcha. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, it's interesting. I'm curious on your thoughts on this because it's hard to get diagnosed. And then when you do get diagnosed, usually the pathway is some sort of like stimulant medication. And I know from my own experience, a lot of people are turned off by that end result. So it's like, well, I'm not going to get diagnosed because that's not the path I want to take. But And I keep seeing more and more TikTok, like <laughs> TikTok in particular ads. And I'm like, that's a different world. Yeah. Well, and I always wonder, I'm like, is because this is such short 
platform storytelling? Do they just target everybody on TikTok? Because they're like, well, if you're here and you use this, you know, and so there's all these ads for these different like diagnosis tools and whatnot. It's really interesting. It's the algorithm. It just, I think it picks up on like the most watched videos and apparently ADHD TikTok is pretty big and quite a few people have been diagnosed thanks ADHD TikTok. So I think that's the algorithm doing what it's meant to do. Are you on TikTok? (laughs) No. So I thought about it. I've been using IG, um, Instagram, I thought about TikTok, maybe. I mean, I love consuming TikTok, but creating on TikTok, I'm like, no, thank you. It looks, it's intimidating to me. So I think it's always like pick the platform you you are most drawn to and just stick with it versus try to be in all the places, right? It's so hard though, because with ADHD, I have this thing called shiny object syndrome and it's an actual thing. You Google it and you find it and you find so many things you're excited with initially for maybe a couple of weeks or months and then you get bored of it and there's something else that piques your interest. So I feel like I probably won't be able to be as consistent as people want me to or as like the TikTok algorithm rewards. But um, I do think it's important that I'm able to spread my awareness across different platforms because you do think you're reaching everyone but I've been posting a bit more on Instagram and there are so many things people are just like wow I didn't know there are three types of ADHD I didn't know these traits were linked to ADHD this makes so much sense to me so there are pros and cons for, for everything that's true I think there's so many people out there, like as you're talking about these things, I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, like put a finger up if you have shiny object syndrome. And and in women too, it's this like, oh, right? Because it's we're not the naughty boys. <laughs> you know, we we were the daydreamers in school, right? Like I, I was always lost in my own like world. And then I would get in like that's how I would get in trouble if I'd get in trouble, right? I'm sure you experience this, just like you must meet a lot of women in particular who are like, oh my gosh, suddenly someone's speaking the language that I have spoken and never thought, you know, like there's actually community in this. There's actually several of us dealing with this. How are women reacting to your content and how are you engaging with helping women in particular kind of navigate? Yeah, this is a a good question. So there are so many different types of women. So I get the black and ethnic minority women who feel like through my content, they've been able to see some traits within themselves and see some similarities with the difficulties that they are having with ADHD or suspecting that they have ADHD. And for them, they told me they didn't feel lonely or feel like they are this weird person that nobody understands. And to give it a bit of context, in so many communities, and I can only speak from my experience as a Black woman, it's very difficult to, I guess, tell people, even your family, that you have this disability called ADHD because one, there is still stigma surrounding it, but then also two, we are dealing with so many competing barriers in society, being black, being a woman, being young, but then adding disability on top of that, that makes it very difficult. So when I was first diagnosed, I didn't really share it with anyone. Um, Even though I had a massive social presence, um, nobody knew I was completely anonymous. So the black women I speak to feel seen and heard and feel like they can actually speak to someone because they don't have that in real life. And then there are older women in their 40s and 50s, which always surprises me when they say, wow, thanks to your newsletter or your tweets, I spoke to my doctor about getting diagnosed by ADHD and I received the diagnosis. And they say to me, well, I wish that my content and other content creators, I guess, our content about ADHD existed when they were growing up because that 
wasn't there. And it's only now that they are seeing things on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and all of these platforms that they're realizing that, wow, they do have ADHD and they've been undiagnosed for so long. And then there are also, I guess, university students. And I struggled a lot at university and school. I find that so many people with ADHD were either the gifted kid or just the kid that coasts and just does what needs to do. And then there are others that struggle. I was a kid that coasted. And I think my content and other content creators have helped, I guess, students with ADHD understand why they are struggling so much of assignments with homework at school. And that has helped them to realize, okay, maybe I should try and go for an ADHD diagnosis and get some accommodations, get that extra time on homework exams, uh, receive information in certain ways. So it's been great being able to help so many women in so many different categories. And it's, it's just something that I would have never expected to happen. So super grateful. And I try to help as many people as I can, but then I burn out trying to respond to messages, emails, emails, DMs, but it's amazing that so many of us women are able to get an ADHD diagnosis or even understand ADHD a bit better thanks to online platforms. Absolutely. And I want to acknowledge too, as a white woman, you know, I understand that I'll never understand if that makes sense, but I also have a diluted version of those experiences enough that I can empathize, I guess. And I think it's so important for all of us to support each other in in these things. And this is a great example of where as, as I'm walking through the journey myself of like, Oh, maybe I'm, you know, I'm undiagnosed, but strongly suspect. Right. And for me to realize other women, black women, BIPOC community, I need to be extra sensitive to the fact that the way I experience things, you may experience them like that, but even, even more so because there's these additional biases and things. So how can we all work together to ensure we're all, we all have a seat at the table, right? Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. Oh, thank you. Tell me about your audience and who you find is attracted to your content. Like who's kind of your main listenership, readership, I assume. So Substack, you're big on Substack, you're big in social media. Yeah. Where else are you kind of advocating? Substack, Twitter, um, start in person content on Instagram, but Discord is where I have the community for neurodivergent working professionals. So um, I still have a nine to five job and I feel like there is a lack of information for people, for neurodivergent individuals in the workplace seeking employment. And so I try to fill that gap by having a Discord channel and it's a smaller community and you don't feel exposed. So on quite a few social platforms, when you post a tweet or post a video, it spreads like wildfire. Whereas in Discord, I feel like it's a home where people can be vulnerable. I tell people you can have an anonymous avatar. You don't have to use your real name because we all have jobs and there are some companies out there who stalk the, the profiles of their employees. And I just wanted to create a safe space for people who are struggling at work and, and also people who are doing a bit better at work who can share tips with others as that what helped them and what accommodations they could ask for. That's fantastic. Thank you. I'm still learning. I'm one of the old ladies in your <laughs> like 40s or 50s, like, oh, no, I'm, oh, I'm an older lady. You are young I'm, uh, at heart. I'm, I'm still navigating discord. It's hard. <laughs> it's it is. The more I'm like edging into it, I'm like, OK, I get it now, but not really. But I think I get it now. 
I like that yours is intentional and that people can be anonymous, they can protect their identity, but still get that support because that can be in in certain situations such as this, like you said, like you don't want an employer finding it. I mean, it's a very vulnerable place to be. I'm curious, how do you ensure that the people joining are good actors, if you will, or are people who really want to be there? Do you have a onboarding process? I'm so glad you asked this question. So I don't tweet out the Discord link. I don't think I've ever tweeted it from my main profile because on, I guess, social platforms, you can't control the comments you get, the replies, the people who follow you. The timeline, so like on Twitter, moves very fast. The comment section on Instagram moves very fast. So I wanted to be intentional to make sure that the people who are in the channel actually want to talk about work. So any form of employment, that's what it needs to be focused about for the most part. Of course, um, our outside life and things we have going on, like relationships, family, does affect what we do at work. But I did want it to be focused on working professionals who are neurodivergent. So I did, I think when I first launched, I posted the link in Substack and just was very clear that this is for working professionals, although seeking employment um, as much as I love students and I want to help them. Um, we, I really want the, to keep the, the Discord channel for those who are, are working because that's what the conversations, the tips are going to be focused on. And then I have a page of rules. So it essentially says um, no screen capping and sharing on Twitter unless you get permission from the person. Everyone needs to be nice. No um, sexism, racism all of the the buckets that fall under discrimination and also not to I guess project on others and I find that people project a lot on on Twitter when people are sharing their experiences so just you know be nice try to keep it work focused of course if people have issues outside of work that they want to talk to across the community they should feel free to and I have different channels for different neurotypes so ADHD autism dyslexia dyspraxia dyscalculia Tourette syndrome and a few others so the conversations stay focused and yeah it's been great so far um, people can keep up with conversations. Um, I tell people to double space whenever they're writing a big paragraph to not try to spam the chat. If they've had like a really horrible day and they want to rant, but to ensure that everyone feels included and making sure that whatever they post is accessible um, to double space in between comments and things like that. So it's really good. I've probably had one bad actor or troll. I have no idea how they infiltrated the Discord channel. Who knows? But the community flagged that. They always find a way. Yeah. Yeah. Managed to get them out there in time. So that's how. That's like all the things I, I usually recommend to people. It's like you need a barrier to entry. You have community guidelines. Well, and it sounds like to your point that one person made it in and your community was immediately like, nope, nope, nope which is always a great sign. Yeah, they were like messaging me. And sometimes it's going to feel weird, but I, I forget that I have this Discord channel like at least once a week because there are so many social notifications. And I'm like, oh crap, I haven't looked in there like in a week and a half. What is everyone doing? Um, but I love it. I, I love Discord and it's a place for me to unload. I can be vulnerable and open with the rest of the community without worrying who is looking at me or who's screen capping it as evidence. So yeah. Your community is obviously, you have a very distinct purpose, which is amazing. That's That always is great. What would you recommend to a community builder as just kind of like how should we be making sure that we are accommodating our neurodivergent community members? I think one, not making assumptions. So 
everyone is different. We all have different abilities. People digest information differently. So some people prefer to receive information in writing. Some people prefer podcasts. Some people prefer video content. Some people prefer very pretty Instagram graphics. So I think with community building, it will take um, a bit of trial and error, but also if you're using one platform, try to switch it up. So I know so many different platforms, you can do text, video, and even like Twitter spaces. So provide a range of options to get content and information out to people and then just not making that assumption that this one way of producing content or sharing information is going to work for everyone because we take things in differently. So for instance, I write on Substack, I cannot read long form writing for the life of me. It could be the most interesting thing ever, but I just couldn't sit through it and read it. My brain just dies in between. And so when I write my Substacks, they're very short because I get bored of writing and that's how much I don't like reading. And so that's quite similar for quite a lot of people with ADHD because lack of attention to detail, difficulty sustaining attention are ADHD traits. And so when you're, for those people who are writing things, try to, to make it short and snappy and as concise as it can be. Again, not making assumptions. Another thing is, I'd say ask questions. I feel like a lot of people who build communities are super enthusiastic because it's a great thing to do to ensure you're reaching out to people, helping people and bringing a bunch of people together. But just asking what works. I guess that, you know, there are so many different neurotypes, different types of neurodivergence. And what works for me as someone with ADHD combined type probably won't work for another person with ADHD combined type because the traits impact us differently. So it's asking questions and um, sense checking with um, community members. And um, does this work for you? Do you have any suggestions? And that also makes them feel involved and engaged. So those are two main things. There are probably more, but I cannot think for the life of me. <laughs> I mean, those are good ones. And I, and I agree, like asking is such a good place to start asking and listen. Yeah, exactly that. And if someone's brave enough to provide unsolicited feedback, like take it, actually digest it, you know, versus, well, you know, it's, it's easy to be like, I've oh. got an example of that. Actually, I've been making Instagram graphics. I feel like I'm not the most creative person in the world. And people are surprised by that. But I promise you, I'm not. For me, certain fonts are prettier than others. My brain takes to them better. So Arial, I love Arial. But then Calibri, I hate it for the life of me. And sometimes I just can't see words. Like, I don't think people understand. Some words don't register. So when I'm making Instagram graphics, I told myself I'm going to be intentional and use fonts that work for me. So there's a font on Procreate. It's an app um, called Impact. And I was like, this is a great font. It looks like a video game font. I'm going to use this for my content. And then somebody had left a comment on like one of my posts and they said this font isn't great. Can you use another font the next time? It's hard to read. And for me, I find it difficult to read fonts. So I was just like, if I can read it, I'm sure it's not that bad for you. But then I had to take a step back and realize that, again, just as some fonts don't work for me, it won't work for others. So the next, so now I've been posting things just using Arial, which is a widely known accessibility font. So that's a bit of feedback I appreciated. And, and I made changes to accommodate for others, even though I felt like I could read the fonts that I was using before. But it's to ensure that people can read the information and be able to take in any tips and advice I share through the platform. That's a great example, like real example. Thank you. And today I learned that Arial, now I need to look to see like, what are the most accessible fonts? Never really thought about that. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, it's like the default for a lot of, a lot of things. 
I did have my own experience with a like font issue recently. So this one really rings for me. Oh, really? I bought a knitting pattern on Etsy or Ravelry. I can't remember which one. And one of the reviews had mentioned like, it's a lovely pattern, but unless you change your fonts, I'm not going to buy from you again because I can't read it. And it took forever. And I was like, that's a weird review. Like, cause I was just like, what? Like, I've never heard of anything. And, but I bought it and downloaded it. And I was like, oh, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it is. It's really hard to read and like unnecessarily, <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. And it, it didn't like do anything to improve the pattern. It just made it hard to read. A lot of brands are like that or people who have profiles like they see a fancy font and it looks really nice and pretty, but people can't read that. And if people are finding it hard to read, they're just not going to bother with what you have to, to share because this is like the first hurdle they have to jump over. What's more behind what's what's going to be on the next hurdle? So um, that's just a flag to people to use accessible fonts. And although you have a very nice fancy logo, can people read it? Do they know what it's about? If it's a no, you might want to consider another font. Yeah, it, well, and it reminds me of color contrast as well, like people who are colorblind or just have depending on like vision problems. And we've had that called out in our community by someone whose partner has, uh, I think I want to say they're colorblind, but I'm not exactly sure. But the point being, you know, there was some graphic or logo and it's like, I can't read this because of all these reasons. And and it's really eye opening. And I, I wonder too, you know, just as, as things like Canva, Procreate, like all these things become more accessible to those of us that don't have a background in design or, or whatever it is. And we like to make pretty things because we're humans and humans like to make pretty, like that's just what we do or, or try. Right. <laughs> but then, you know, so we're doing these things un- unintentionally. And I think that's the part where people need to pause and check the ego. Right. Because it's like, Oh, I spent all this time making this thing and I think it's beautiful. And now people are shitting on it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm mad But you have to think about the person who gets there, sees it, and is like, I can't imagine how frustrating it is when you're constantly bombarded with that kind of stuff. And I'm sure because of social media and things like Pinterest, where people are just like churning out these things, um, it feels really lonely and just like, cool, another thing I can't read. Awesome. And so they're going to, they're like, to your point, like, they're just going to be like, oh, okay, I see how this one is. So I'm going to move on. Like, I'm not going to waste my time with this because I'm just going to be frustrated. And so I'm exactly like that. Yeah. yeah. If I look at something, yeah. I'm like that with Facebook groups. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Don't get me started on that. And it's quite annoying because there's a lot of, I've seen like a lot of useful information, but because, it just moves so fast. It's clunky. And this is why like for the discord, I don't want to have too many people in it because it becomes like a Facebook group or a Reddit where there are just so many posts that people can't benefit from it because they just can't keep up with the conversations. And it's just chaotic, basically. Absolutely. And well, a lot of my beef with Facebook groups is Facebook <laughs> in particular is the company, but specifically that you can spend a lot of time building a a community there and then Facebook's going to decide, well, this isn't important to us anymore and you lose it. You have no control over it. Oh no, does that happen? Oh yeah, yeah. If you're not collecting people's like email addresses and contact info proactively, I mean, Facebook has a long history. They used to have a group app for a long time and then they just decided to get rid of it. And it just like destroyed a lot of communities that people had been building. So I'm very anti- Facebook to the point where if someone has a course or something or a community that you get access to with said, you know, or whatever, something paid and and a Facebook group is part of it, I will not 
purchase it. Oh, well, I'd never heard of that. Oh, yeah. They have gotten better, to be fair to everyone who's mad listening. They've put a lot more into their like community management tools and, you know, ways to make groups functional. But at the end of the day, it's still on a social media platform and you get what you pay for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, that's that's good to know. Not that I plan to set up a massive Facebook group or anything because I cannot do another social media site. I feel like I've spread myself too thin, but like it's good to know to listeners out there, just something to be aware of across social platforms. Yeah, I think, you know, and my point earlier with like color schemes and all that and like us as just humans creating things, shiny things, you know, for fun and not realizing, I think it, I want to clarify, I'm not saying like all community builders need to go get a PhD to understand how to accommodate. In web accessibility and color accessibility. Yeah. Yeah. But we should certainly listen when it's brought up, right? Like that's the best we can do. And there's probably some best practices. And I think you pointed one out, which is fonts, right? Like if you're making documents and things for your community are they in a readable font and also just the i like what you were saying about you know long form versus short form versus video um there are there are really easy ways to enhance accessibility with the tools that exist like youtube you can turn on the closed captioning various platforms with video, you can add um, timestamps so people can just jump to the thing. So you don't lose, like that happens to me if the intro is too long, you lost me and then I missed the whole point. I zoned out right when I was supposed to be paying attention. I just skip that it. That kind of stuff. Different bunch of things. <laughs> yeah. And that's why like, so the cards, is that a good segue into the cards? That is a perfect segue into the cards. Excellent. Yeah. So I made so flashcards for people with ADHD, you obviously won't be able, you can see it on the screen, others can't. And when I was developing it, I was thinking, okay, fonts, dark background, light writing, but not too light that it just blinds you, but the contrast is like really good. And then earlier on, I, I mentioned that I don't, I can't read like long um, form writing and content. And so I get offers about, um, do you want to write a book? Do you need a book agent? And I say to them, I would love to have a book out about ADHD, but one, I don't see myself sitting there writing a book. I just couldn't do it. And two, I want people to have easily digestible information because there is so much out there about ADHD and I'm sure you know. And so I'm th- I was thinking, okay, the my subset newsletter is great. People are able to read it, but how can I package everything that I've learned, my own experience and shared examples with adults with ADHD into one place where people can have it in hand. And even though there isn't a lot of information because there are flashcards, it gives them a starting point. So people can read and say, oh, okay, I do that. That makes sense. Let me Google or go on YouTube to learn more about that. Let me speak to my doctor about that. Let me have conversations with my family and friends about being impulsive about having a poor memory about being quite disorganized or struggling with interrupting people so things like that so yeah that's why I created flashcards on hyperactive impulsive type and an attentive type and then if you have combined type like I did people can read both and compare so yeah that's how these cards came about that's great and what Give us an example of like, what, what would you see on a card? Like, is it a tip? Is it a, ooh. Shiny. This is live. <laughs> She's cracking open the card deck. I've opened that the hyperactive impulsive deck. So what I done is a description of ADHD. So the first card. So of course that's, it seems obvious, but 
there are so many stereotypes um, and misconceptions about ADHD. So I've explained one that there are three types, and for the, say that this is the ADHD hyperactive impulsive type, I say things like you know people with ADHD hyperactive impulsive type constantly feel the need to be on the go. And people might not struggle with the same straits, but many will experience similar challenges. And then the format for each card is a trait. So the first one is fidgeting. It's a description about how fidgeting relates to hyperactive ADHD, hyperactive impulsive type. And there are reasons why we might struggle with fidgeting. So whether that's being bored, stressed, nervous, deep, deep thinking deeply about something so people can understand the causes of the action. And then the next card will still be fidgeting, but there are examples. For me, I know I can't help but click the button of pens whenever I have it in my hand. Even in like inappropriate settings, it's just it, it just gets done. I fiddle with a necklace, the headphone wires, anything else, just so people can look at the examples and understand, oh, I do that. I'm an adult and I do that. And then the final card for the trait is um, top tips. So again, for fidgeting, I use fidget toys, the fidget cube, the tangle, the fidget bike chain. Um, and I found that they've helped me to concentrate when I'm in virtual meetings. So instead of daydreaming, I have my fidget toy in my hands and it keeps my brain active. And when I have to read, say, long documents for work, somehow the fidget, using the fidget um, toy in my hand um, concentrates my brain on the words that I'm reading on the page surprisingly so it just debunks the there may be the misconception that fidget toys are for kids and, and kids with ADHD but it actually helps adults especially those working in their day-to-day -day. so things like that so I do them for all of the the traits which are I guess listed in the the ADHD criteria but there are no information for adults and then finally I have a few cards that um, aren't linked listed in the ADHD diagnostic criteria but are closely linked to ADHD so hyperfocus, rejection, sensitive dysphoria, rumination, time blindness, just so people know that there are other traits that are linked to ADHD that haven't necessarily been written in like medical documents. But there are studies, there are scientific studies to back it up. So yeah, hopefully people can use this in cards to start dialogue to kind of understand a bit more about the ADHD and as a starting point to, to understand a, a bit more with the other resources online. Sorry, I just rambled and excessive talking is an ADHD trait. So there you have it. <laughs> live example. No, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I love that you've created this and that as you're talking about it, I was thinking this would be such a useful tool for a family. So whether you were diagnosed at, at 26, 28, 26, no, nope, 26, you're 28 now. Yeah. And so like with your family, like what a great way to be able to have like discussions about things or or even just say here here are parents like that's the feedback I'm getting from people so people show it to their parents someone said um they showed it to their mom because they think their mom had ADHD and she had always like denied it and then she read the cards and was just like oh, okay you might be right I have this and I guess the one amazing piece of feedback I received so I I made these cards for adults with ADHD because I was diagnosed as an adult I can only give examples as an adult and maybe pre-teens but this woman sent me an email I had posted it on Twitter and said the most amazing thing just happened I bought the cards and um, for me and I was reading them with my 10 year old stepdaughter and she saw the card on rejection sensitive dysphoria and it led her to go on YouTube and she feels so much better about it and now she can manage it better and that was mind-blowing to me. So yeah, many different use cases. And I'm going to send you a pack, Jill. Two packs, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I was going to buy a pack. Tell everyone where they can find the deck and purchase. 
they can find it on www.adhdtraits.com. That's www.adhdtraits.com. I'm going to look it up while we're talking. Oh, this is fantastic. Yeah, this I I just think this would be such a great tool, even in like classrooms, right? Like just it's kind of like such a great conversation starter. I can see a million use cases for it, but I know I'm preaching to the choir with that. Obviously, you agree. Um, yeah, those are beautiful. Thank you very much. Well, Rach, this has been so fun. We are going to shift to the rapid fire round. Ooh, go for it. I'm sweating. Oh, don't sweat. It's fun. Like I mentioned before, there is no math. And also, yeah, it's just for fun. So just the first thing that comes to mind, that is your answer. And um, just keep it like a sentence. I will want to respond, but I will not for sake of time. Um, so with the first question, Rach, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a talk show host like Ricky Lake and Trisha. I'm not sure if you know. So like they were like the female versions of Maury and Jerry Springer. But yeah, don't ask me why. <laughs> oh, I love it. How do you define community? Home. Home, family, a sense of belonging. I love that. All right. Thinking about whether you literally have one or not, if you had a bucket list, what is one thing on that list that you have done? Paintballing. I went paintballing early this year and I really thought I was Rambo on the field. So I said, I'm going to go out there and discharge towards the enemy. I want to get my money's worth. The session has ended in 30 minutes. Let me just go all guns blazing. I got shot like five times in my chest and went just down. So I'm five foot two. I weigh maybe 54 kg. So I'm quite light. So yeah, <laughs> it was a good experience though. And I have the scars to prove it. Oh, I can just picture it. And it's pretty hysterical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the best way. All right. And then what is something on that bucket list that you have not yet done, but you want to? Ooh, I want to go inside the submarine. I've watched so many movies and... Okay, so I'm not the greatest swimmer, and I'm actually I'm not a really good swimmer. I jumped out of both out of a boat two years ago in Greece, and I almost died. But I'd love to go inside a submarine to explore the waters. I'm not sure how that's going to happen, but that's on my bucket list. There are no rules for bucket lists, so that's wonderful. I love it. <laughs> so you mentioned you don't like long form reading. So this, I'm not sure how this will apply, but is there a book in your life that you just think is like one of the best books ever? It can't be a religious book. I can't just say the Bibles because that's like easy, but um, The Alchemist. So oh. I know it's like very cliche because it's all of these lists, like book 25 books to read before you're 25, but it really teaches you that you're on your own journey, that in life you're going to go through diff different trials, different tribulations. You're going to meet some great people and some not so great people along the way, but you will always hopefully arrive at your destination and I guess meet the purpose you were always meant to have in the beginning. So it's such a good book for, for those of you feeling lost and those of you feeling like you don't know what to do with your life, that you just don't have a purpose. And I read that when I was in that position and it, it did transform my mind and, and my thinking. So The Alchemist. That's beautiful. Oh. <laughs> All right. You live in one of my favorite places. Okay. London. But if you could live anywhere else in the world, where would you want to live? Panama. It just looks really nice, rich culture, great food, sunny, and just lovely people. I feel like I'd just be stress-free. So I'm gonna say Panama. I think I I think I want to join you. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to have you on my little 
estate in Panama. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. All right. And final question, Rach, how do you want to be remembered? As a helper. So as someone who helps people, I, I think, I mean, I know I have people pleasing tendencies, but someone that has made a difference in people's lives and that has caused other people to make a difference in other people's lives because I started that and became the catalyst. So yeah, as a helper, that's it. I love it. And it's such a like community builder response. (laughs) I promise I did not think about this or planned. My brain does not go that far. (laughs) I actually think most people who are really good at community building, like it's it and are drawn to it kind of have a lot of these similar passions, multi-passionate, but also just want to help. I agree. Well, Rach, this has been so wonderful. I feel like I just made a new friend, which is so exciting. Yay. Let, <laughs> yay. Um, let our audience know where can they where can they find you? What's your sub stack? What's your your handle? <laughs> all the things. If I forget, do jump in. I shouldn't because it's all the same. So on Twitter, adulting ADHD, on Instagram, adulting ADHD. My Substack is adultingadhd.substack.com. And my Discord channel is ND Professionals, but it's not open. So feel free to DM me on Twitter. It's my, my DMs are open if you'd like to join that community. And thanks so much for listening. I mean, if you have ADHD or suspecting that you have ADHD, please check out um, a bunch of social platforms. I was anonymous for a year and a half on Twitter. Um, didn't have an Abby. Nobody knew my name. Um, so if you are someone feeling vulnerable, lonely, and you don't want to be open about your ADHD, try being anonymous um, because that way you can still connect with the community and everyone's, most people are very like lovely and, and warm. And if you do want to um, find out more about ADHD or this is something you're kind of debating, if you're able to do see your healthcare professionals and, and share your concerns and if they turn you down, do push for a diagnosis and I hope you're able to advocate for yourself and take some examples before you go. Yes. Awesome. I love that. We'll, we'll end on that mic drop. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Joe. Amazing conversation. And that was the interview with Rach with ADHD. Um, I had so much fun talking to Rach. Rach, if you are listening, I just think you are the greatest. She and I actually spent probably at least half an hour after we wrapped the recording just chit-chatting about life and ADHD and writing books and all sorts of things. So lovely. Definitely go give her a follow wherever you like to follow people. Let's talk about the episode. Let's get in. I think, as I said in the intro, and I'd love to talk about again, is just the importance of as community builders that we know what's going on. Like, for example, I have never considered font having that much effect and that the cutesy fonts that I might be drawn to, you know, making something in Canva to, to put in the community or, or whatever it is. Maybe you use Illustrator because you're, yeah, don't brag just because you're good at digital art and I'm not, but that's okay. I use Canva. Maybe that cute font, not everyone can appreciate, right? It's, it, I never thought about that. So I think it's good. I think it's good to have these conversations and just keep them in mind when we're doing stuff, when we're building community. For example, I think about when someone first joins your community and how you relay onboarding information to them, having multiple ways for people to consume that. So maybe there's videos, maybe there's written form, maybe there's a checklist. It's not that hard for us 
to create that. And if it broadens who participates in that thing we want to happen, we want people to go through our onboarding, then I think it's good for everybody. I don't know. What do you think? I would love to hear your thoughts. You can tag at Team SPI on Twitter. You can tag me directly at Jillian Benbow. Very original name. And yeah, I think I'm going to leave it at that. I think there's a lot to ponder. Go check out Rage and I will see you next Tuesday. You can find Rage on the internet as expected. Find her at Rach with ADHD, but on social, Substack, Twitter, Discord, she is at Adulting ADHD. And definitely go check out her site with her cards. It's ADHDtraits.com. Your lead host for the community experience is me, Jillian Benbow. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our senior producer is David Grabowski. And our editor is Ray Sylvester. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. Theme music by David Grabowski. See you next Tuesday.